Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is just about eight minutes now past seven o'clock at night. My name is Susie Jones in for Geraldine Steele tonight. Geraldine is on the mend and will be back. We'll let you know when, but she will be back. In the meantime, though, here I sit. Jonathan Lowe at the helm, Susie Jones here, and we have a lot to talk about, Jonathan. There is a lot going on in the world. Tonight, the Oscars are taking place out in Los Angeles. We're glancing at it. We're not actually watching it because that would be rude to you listening out there. We're going to pay attention to this show. But we are going to talk a little bit about the best movies that were nominated and see if you've seen them, if I've seen them, if you've seen them. 651-461-9226. We'd love to have you a part of the show tonight via text or call, whatever you choose. So we'll keep our eye on the Oscars. We're also going to share a few thoughts and remembrances of Bud Grant passing away. I believe suddenly. Did he not pass away suddenly? I do not believe that he was in dire straits. I think he was just somewhere not too long ago. Or was it expected? I don't think it was expected. I think he he fell a little ill or he fell ill earlier in the week. Mm. But it wasn't anything where they thought it was going to be a quick, a a, a dire situation. Mm. So I I think it was a little bit on the sudden side. Ninety five is a good run, I yes, would say, is. and he has made a remarkable impact on this state and all of us as growing up Viking fans. Also, want to remind people if you're just now tuning in and you haven't done it at this point in the evening, it is actually seven. 09, not 609. So hopefully you remember to turn your clocks ahead. We spring forward, we fall back. So we're losing an hour. So hopefully you're not too tired tonight. We also want to talk about potholes, Jonathan. I was driving in the Twin Cities today. I have been, obviously. Everywhere I go, St. Louis Park, right on my street, there's a crater. And if you are not mindful and you hit it full on, you can really do some damage to your car. And I actually had a friend who said, how do potholes even happen? Like, she's from California. She's not really clear on the mechanics of a pothole. So we are so happy to have with us on a Sunday evening Professor Monique Barman. Uh, he is a doctor at the University of Minnesota, and he is a civil, civil engineering expert. And he is gracious enough to come on with us for just a couple of minutes to talk about this. Good, good evening, and thanks for coming on tonight, Professor. 
Thank you very much, uh, Susie. Uh, thanks a lot for inviting me on, on this. Can you tell us how potholes are made? Well, uh, potholes, <clears throat> uh, it can happen at the end of the pavement life, uh, but it can also happen before that uh, if uh, we see uh, continuous freestyle cycles or water penetrations in the pavement mm-hmm. uh, that uh, makes uh, pavement materials disintegrated and the pavement loses those materials uh, with the vehicles passing mm. and a form of uh, depression or holes formed on the pavement surface. Mm-hmm. So this is basically the pothole. Can you tell me, um, there was some, there's a sense that there are more this year. Do you think conditions have been such that have made there be more potholes in the Twin Cities? Sure. The weather uh, in Minnesota, or in this specific region, this year has been uh, harsh. Harsh in the sense uh, we saw continuous uh, cooling and warming. Uh, and for pavement, we call it freezing and thawing. Like, uh, if you remember, we saw rain events even in the January. And then we have so, uh, seen, uh, you know, warm temperature at the day, cold temperature at the night. So what happened in the warm temperature when uh, melted snow or water gets into the pavement system, at night uh, they become ice. When it becomes ice, water become ice, it pushes the uh, pavement materials, okay? So mm-hmm. uh, that weakens the pavement. So these year, these freestyle cycles have been really uh, extensive. Mm-hmm. So the total formation this year is more than the other years. Well, it's interesting because it seems like some of the spots, they come by every year and they fill that and they, you know, roll over it. And then the next year it's a pothole again. So maybe just underneath the street, it's unstable. Sure. Pothole fixing is a temporary thing. You know, generally the pothole supposed to end, supposed to form at the end of the pavement life. Now, in the, between the pavement life, if, you know, those depression occurs, we patch them. But if a road, uh, you know, experiencing potholes again and again, uh, and then uh, they are repairing yearly basis. So something is wrong. I think that road uh, uh, is either beyond its design life Mm -hmm. or, or as you said, there are some underlying issues. And as I said, potholes can be because of the water presence. So somewhere the drainage system is not working in that pavement Mm -hmm. or in that particular road, what you are telling. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's something we're just going to have to live with, right, Professor? Unfortunately, <laughs> yes, if we're in Minnesota, uh, you know, this uh, we cannot avoid this spring thaw season. Uh, and then we really cannot replace all our asphalt pavement by concrete, cement concrete overnight. Well, cement concrete also sees diseases or disease, but... Uh, not these moisture-driven uh, potholes. Uh, but, um, but you know, uh, we are not probably the state uh, which has the most severe or large quantity of the potholes. There are other states, but 
uh, worse than us. Really? (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to believe. (laughs) It's unbelievable, but we are not at the bottom of the list. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. It is terrible, and we appreciate your coming on and sharing some information, and uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Susie. Okay. Uh, have a great evening. Lovely. Bye. And you too, uh, Professor Monique Barman, University of Minnesota. He is a civil engineering expert talking about the prevalence of potholes. I know they are out there and they are terrible. So perhaps you could text or call us with your worst pothole sighting. What is the worst pothole sighting you have particularly either hit or have just seen and been able to avoid 651-461-9226 as we move through this Sunday evening. We already have a texture, Jonathan. The texture says, Susie, the late great Steve Cannon suggested that MnDOT should spray paint a white circle around the pothole so we can see them. Well, Christy, that is a great idea. I think that's smart. Or somebody should be maybe even liable in the sense that they, my friend said she had two flat tires from smashing into them. So it's been a pretty harsh winter. In fact, it's been gray. We've had snow. We just heard we might get more snow. Feels like we haven't seen the sun in a million days. So what we're going to do next is talk to an expert, a psychologist, on dealing with the winter blues for the winter that just felt like it was never going to end. We'll do that right after this on News Talk 830-WCCO. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is 7.20 on a Sunday night. My name is Susie Jones, sitting in for Gerilyn tonight. We with you till 10 o'clock tonight. We're talking about potholes. We're talking about the Oscars. We're talking about a lot of different things, including the winter blues. But we did get a text, 651-461-9226. Guy writes, just turned on the radio, heard the end of the pothole story. I don't know what you were talking about, but with all the technology we have, why can't they come up with something that would permanently fix them so they don't blow out right away? Uh, Concrete or blacktop and concrete do not stick together, so why do they do it? You know, these are life's mysteries that we just don't know why we can't find a way to... I probably think it's expensive. That money is usually at the issue. Now, one thing we cannot control is the weather. I don't know if you know that or not. You can wish that it's going to be 75 and sunny in Minneapolis, but it's not right now. Right now, 
In fact, we have light snow and 31. And while at times it's pretty and you say, oh, it's all right. At other times you say, is it ever going to end? Are we ever coming out of this thing? You look at the piles of snow at the end of your driveway. I mean, they're eight feet tall. Some of them are 20 feet tall, those snow mounds. And you think they're never. When are they going to melt? You know what I used to think? That's how I felt when I was pregnant. I'd look at my big old belly and I'd say, there's no way this is ever coming out of me. That's how I feel about the snow mounds. So we have invited on the program today, hopefully to help us a little bit, deal with our feelings around winter and maybe the winter blues. Maybe it's just starting to get on your nerves. We have Dr. Sarah Paper. She is a psychologist in the Alina Healthcare System. Dr. Paper, thank you for coming on with us. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, do you get a lot of this? Does this really weigh people down come March? You know, what are we, 12th, and it doesn't seem like we're coming out of it anytime soon? It does seem to be bothering people, especially this winter. It's just been going on forever. And we have a ton of snow, and it just keeps getting, like you said, stacking up higher and higher. And so people who are already experiencing depression do seem to be experiencing some increase in depression if they're prone to a a seasonal pattern for their depression, for sure. And then the rest of us are also frustrated and sometimes can feel pretty trapped. Yeah, I was going to say claustrophobic. You know, you kind of feel like it's closing in on you. Right. Yeah. yeah. It looks like it's closing in on us. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but what can you do? I mean, is it, are there things and steps we can take even when there's no sun? Like, what can we do to kind of shake this off a little bit? Cause we're not done with winter. No, we're not. And as we know, as Minnesotans, it can last, you know, even longer, hopefully not, but it can last a couple more months. Sometimes it can snow in May. I heard um, a rumor about that when I first moved here. Um, <laughs> like a warning? Somebody warned you, Dr. Paper? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, Prince warned us about April, mm-hmm. and then one of my professors warned me that one time, I think May 3rd, it had snowed. I'm not sure what year, um, but for some reason, I stayed here. Um, <laughs> so if somebody's struggling with more of a clinical depression, and they're really feeling the effects of the lack of light, you know, decreasing their serotonin and one of the theories also increasing their melatonin, so making them feel really drowsy and, and, and down and sometimes even, you know, suicidal. If somebody's experiencing that, they should talk with their doctor. There's medication, cognitive behavioral therapy. There's light therapy that they can do. There's also um, dawn stimulators where the light kind of starts shining in the morning, like that imitates the sunrise for you so that you can get that boosted energy in the morning. That seems to help a great deal. If you're not experiencing that clinical type of depression related to the seasons, it it can help to do that. You're and everybody should do these things, but exercising, eating healthy, getting out and going for a walk in the snow, even if you know it's not that bright out and it's a little bit chilly. Bundling up and getting out there and moving still is important, and socializing. A lot of times we let the snow get in the way of doing the things that make us feel good, or being with the people that make us feel good. And so one thing, um, there's been a lot of research on different cultures and um, geographical areas where people do just fine during winters. And some of it's their genetics and another part is their mindset and cultural events and experiences. 
Dr. Sarah Paper is our guest. She is a psychologist with the Alina Healthcare System. We're talking about the winter blues and whether you have a clinical situation with depression, there are treatments for that. Um, she talked about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, light therapy. What is that Dawn thing? And can you buy that or does that have to be a doctor prescribed? The Dawn. Did you mention that, Sarah? Did we lose Sarah? Sounds like we might have lost her. All right. Well, we'll regroup here in just a minute. We are talking about the winter that wouldn't end and all the snow that we've gotten. And we, again, invite you to be part of the program. Maybe you would like to share how you are dealing with the winter. Are you tired of it? Does it not bother you? Does it bother you? I wonder, are people, I suppose, as I say, acceptance. Like, what are you going to do about it? Because you can't do anything about it. So if you're mad about it, I'm not sure that's going to actually move the needle. I think we have to find ways to accept it. And if you can, embrace it. I think we've reestablished communication now with Dr. Paper. I was saying, you know, that when you fight something and are mad about it, it makes it worse, doesn't it? So is there anything like we can do to not hate it? Some of it, I mean, this sounds really simple, and but it does help to ch- notice if you're having those negative thoughts about winter, saying, oh, I, I just hate the winter, it's terrible, I can't get outside, I can't do anything fun. If you can notice that and shift those thoughts, because it's, it's not true. We can get out there and do things. It's harder, you know, yeah. it's um, not as easy, and your neighbors aren't just outside sitting out there waiting for you to go talk to them. <laughs> so it takes a bit more effort, but if, if there are things that you enjoy, get out there and do them and don't let your negative thoughts get in the way. Challenge those thoughts and focus on what you can do or develop a hobby that's inside is another thing. And Develop a hobby inside even, whether it's knitting or sewing mm-hmm. or painting or what have you, huh? Yeah, something that you can say, well, at least I'm doing this now. You know, I have the time to get this done before her. all the snow melts. I'm going to... You could always Get my clean plants ready to plant. <laughs> <laughs> you can also clean your closets. Yeah, for people who enjoy that. I'm I'm not one of those people I wish that I was. No. But some people do love cleaning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we appreciate it. Anything else you want to add to sort of lighten the load a little bit? Um Make a snowman? I don't know. I mean, one texture says, has it been a warmer winter? I'm not really sure. I feel like it hasn't been terribly cold, which is good, but that's sort of the age-old question. Would you rather have 30 degrees or 35 and clouds or 10 and sun? I don't know. Do you have a preference? I I like the temperature being a little bit higher so we can at least trudge through the snow and get out there. And even if it's a bit gloomier, we can at least be outside and getting fresh air and moving. And I mean, have some fun with the snow. It, we don't have it for hopefully much longer. Get some of that snow paint, write funny messages to your neighbors, do those kind of things if you can. There's somebody in Egan who built like a whole like underground fort for kids to go play in. There's ways that we can kind of still enjoy this. And I think doing that, also, one other thing you can do, the research on this isn't, um, it's, it hasn't been proven like statistically, but some people seem to benefit from vitamin D. So that's something you can look at and see if your vitamin D level is low. Um, a lot of my patients report feeling less sluggish um, after they 
start taking supplements, obviously talk to your doctor first, but that uh, seems to be something. So eat healthy, bake, um, knit, what you inside <laughs> when you can. And again, just, you know, as Minnesotans, when it's warm, we want to be out there. So right, you got to right. do what you can inside while um, but again, just wrapping it up, if it becomes a situation where you need the doctor, are you sleeping more? Are you right. sleeping less? Like what's happening to you that makes you think I should really reach out for help? If you're noticing those changes, if your mood is getting really down, if you don't have energy to do the things that you normally can do, if you're sleeping a lot, if you're really craving, I know we all crave carbohydrates, but if you're really craving carbohydrates and can't seem to get enough of them, if you're gaining weight, um, if you're starting to have really dark thoughts about life, definitely reach out to your doctor, reach out to a therapist and, and get some help. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yes. I enjoyed it. We'll get through it, won't we? We will. <laughs> okay. It we is, always do. Every we year. always <laughs> do. I know. <laughs> and we stay. And we decide to not move. Oh, great. Thank you so much. I fantasize about it. (laughs) Okay. Have a lovely evening. Thank you so much. That is uh, Dr. Sarah Paper, Alina Health Systems, talking about how to prevent or cope with uh, the winter blues. We're going to take a break. And speaking of winter and the weather, we're going to give you a check of the forecast coming up right after this. It is 736. 30 degrees, some snow out there on this Sunday night, a big night. The Oscar's underway. Hopefully you got your clock changed. We talked about potholes. We talked about getting through the winter blues. We're going to change topics now and talk about something called rare diseases. In fact, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar this past week had a roundtable discussion with several experts about rare diseases, and the need for more funding to look into research to get a better handle on that. So here's just an excerpt of what Senator Klobuchar had to say during that roundtable. Advocate and Minnesotan living with a rare disease, which is classical Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, also known as CEDS. And she's a font of information about that, but also an incredible person in her own right, having run marathons and the like, all knowing that she had this disease while she was doing it. Uh, We're also joined by Dr. Lazaridis, uh, who is the Carlson and Nelson Endowed Executive Director of the Center for Individualized Medicine at Mayo Clinic. And when I talked about the personal medicine and being able to identify people's genetic makeups, that's what this is, the Center for Individualized Medicine, because not Um, everyone reacts the same to different medications. And also it allows them to find out what's wrong with people who sometimes the diagnoses have defied doctor after doctor after doctor for years. Again, that's Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar at a roundtable discussion recently talking about rare diseases. And the person she was speaking of is a young woman, uh, an amazing young woman, Abby Hauser. And Abby was part of that roundtable discussion where she talked about her own condition and the need for more money for research. 
And so we have invited Abby to the program, and she is graciously not only joining us, but she's joining us in studio. Her father is a somewhat famous political reporter for Channel 5 television, but we he's here too. But this is really Abby's moment, so Tom can pop in if he feels like it. Abby, thank you for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, how was it that, that roundtable? Was that an interesting event to be a part of? Yeah, it was really exciting. I had just met with Senator Klobuchar in D.C. like three days prior. I had just gotten back from our rare disease week, and I'd gotten an email from her staffer right as I was flying out and was like, would you join us for this press conference? And I was just honored to be selected and chosen and for her to just continue including my voice in everything that she's doing. Well, and what a voice you have. I just One thing that jumped out for me personally is as you described uh, your rare disease. Can you tell us what it is and use the description of the the three little pigs? (laughs) So would you mind doing that for us? Yes. So I have what's called classical Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a big mouthful, but it's basically a genetic condition that affects the collagen gene responsible for something called type 5 collagen in your body is the specific type of EDS that I have. And I always liken it to this analogy from the three little pigs where my body is made out of straw, but everyone else's is made out of brick. We might look the same on the outside, but the way that we respond to external conditions is not the same. Whereas I have dislocated my knee, rolling over in bed, um, getting my hair cut. I've fractured bones just from the force of gravity and dislocated my shoulder holding the door open for someone. Just typical external conditions that are not very impactful for anybody else's body, but for mine where the collagen is just weakened and the structure is just not as strong, they can cause a lot more damage than it might seem on the outside where I might look the same as anybody else. So Amy Klosher mentioned you'd run a marathon, and I saw it as well with your dad. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty brave. Thank you. I mean, because speaking of potentially getting hurt, and you, you didn't get hurt. You ran it with your dad, who's a marathonaholic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how? what pushes you? I Honestly, the marathon came out of a doctor telling me that I couldn't, <laughs> <laughs> which I grew up running cross country, and the, our races were 4K, which is two and a half miles. I was like, that's plenty. I don't need to go further. Felt no desire to go further than the 10K. Then I kind of did some half marathons for charity, a different rare disease charity. And then I had some knee surgeries and a doctor was like, you'll get back to your same running pace and distance that you would before. And then I just wasn't getting there. And all of a sudden she was like, oh, you might actually only run more than like no more than like two miles. So kind of backpedaled what we had agreed on. And that didn't sit right with me. So then all of a sudden my brain was like, well, I'm going to run a marathon. So I I eventually did it. You did. It's brilliant. Let's talk about Rare Disease Week in Washington, D.C. What was that like? Um, and did you make progress? Do you think every time you talk about it, we make progress? Kind of talk about that week. It was an incredible week. So Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill is hosted by a rare disease nonprofit called the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases. And I'm actually on their board of directors. I was just named um, to their board last year. And they do what we consider uh, policy, like Mm -hmm. public policy and health policy work. But our efforts are on training advocates to speak their stories and connect it to policy better. Mm -hmm. We never speak for 
advocates. We just train them to be the best that they can be and find places that their stories can make change. So we do the policy work and then we set up all these meetings. We had um, people from all 50 states in the Cherokee Nation there. We had over 300 meetings with lawmakers um, from, all again, all 50 states. And we have some policy priorities that we discuss, different bills, different things that are kind of in motion. But advocates are also able to speak about whatever is important to them or their specific rare disease um, charity or organization or just group or anything like that. And we get together and I think there was over 500 of us in D.C. And it's like a giant family reunion at that point. But I had so much fun. We have a specific young adult group for advocates that are 16 to 30. And how old are you? I'm just turned 28 this week. 28. Okay, congratulations. Something else I remember from the press conference from the roundtable is the number of people in the United States with a rare disease and the number of research and dollars and treatments available. Talk about that discrepancy from how many have it to the work that's being done to find a cure or more treatment. Yeah. So our research just has kind of come out and retabulated this number that there are over 10,000 rare diseases that exist. We used to operate on the number of 7,000. Now we're looking towards 10,000. And that doesn't mean 10,000 people. It means 10,000 no, 10, specific diseases. But that could mean 100,000 people. Yes. Or so more. I believe the estimation that we work with is about 30 million Americans. Which is a lot. It is definitely a lot of people. So definitely needs some attention. Yes. We had this burden study that we call um, that was done. And only surveyed like 300 rare diseases and the economic impact of rare disease in the United States in just one year was almost a trillion dollars. Wow. And how – explain that a little more. What's the, what's the cost? So the cost – this study I, – I love this study, but we were able to capture direct and indirect costs. So direct costs are like health insurance, medical bills, anything that you might think of. And then we got indirect costs through uh, days of missed work, mm-hmm. time that parents have to take off of work. Um, different things that are just not captured in any other tangible way. They were able to quantify and put this out, and the Every Life Foundation is really using this as a tool to drive the discussion that the lack of rare disease treatments, because only 5% of rare diseases have an approved treatment. Why do you think that is? That's a lot of people. Do people just – I mean, how what what makes something sexy to, re, to do research <laughs> and find – I mean, I actually do some work with the Ataxia Foundation. Yeah. And um, Andrew Rosen is the executive director. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, and so that's one that's yes. sort of peculiar. I mean, it's not well known, and they say it's not an Italian taxi cab, ATAC. <laughs> but I wonder what the reason is for that discrepancy, for that small amount. That's always hard. I think a lot of it honestly comes down to money. Is It's what treatments are going to be viable, what treatments are going to be profitable for pharmaceutical companies to invest in. And things like that. And a lot of these rare diseases, we just don't even know the basic disease mechanisms. We're still in the infancy of learning about them. So getting treatments across the line is going to take even further because we're still figuring out even what these diagnoses are. And then if you have a small population, we have some diseases called ultra-rare diseases that affect sometimes 30 people, 10 people, 5 people. Those are very hard to get treatments for because that's just such a small population. How about your situation? Are there treatments for what you have? There's no treatments. There are 13 types of EDS, and none of them have an FDA-approved treatment. Really? Yeah. So you just have to have it and not do anything? Can't take aspirin or 
we there's some like symptom management that you can do, but the symptom management that we end up using is just what you would do for anyone else with an injury, and it's not tailored to like my specific genetic makeup or anything. And I always say it's like we're just cobbling it together and hoping for the best. We are talking to Abby Hauser. She is 29. She has a rare disease, and she is an advocate for herself and for others. When did you find out you had it? I was diagnosed in, I believe, 2002, 2003, which I would have been about six or seven. Okay. And obviously your parents noticed something (laughs) was not the same as other kids because don't you guys have a bunch of kids in your family? There are. (laughs) There are four of us, yes. Um, I think I – the first like major thing that started happening is I started dislocating my knee. Oh, doing really mundane things. I was playing in my bed the first time that it happened and had rolled over. Um, the next time I was coloring on the floor. And the time after that, I was getting my hair cut. Um, things that should not cause injuries in children that kind of raised a lot of red flags uh, to my pediatrician and my parents. That Luckily, we had good care here that led us very quickly towards a diagnosis within like a year and a half. Okay. I think the average wait for a rare disease diagnosis is upwards of six or seven years. I was going to say, because that was the same thing with ataxia, and it's the only thing I can reference, but that doctors misdiagnosed it as this or that or MS or da-da-da-da-da. And so even physicians themselves, as good as they are, don't think rare disease. Yes. It's, it's hard because you tend to think the common diseases first. Because that's just what you need to rule out. And a lot of these rare diseases mimic very similar um, symptom patterns of maybe a more common disease or not a disease at all. And just maybe something's just funky with your body and Mm. not necessarily disease pathology. So sometimes it does take a while, but other times it's just the wait for specialists, the the vague symptoms that might not, if it's not life-threatening, sometimes that takes longer to find a diagnosis. So where's a lot of the research being done? The NIH is driving a lot of it. They have a a center called NCATS um, that is the Center for Advancing Translational Sciences, and that's where a lot of rare disease research takes place. Mm. Um, But it's kind of wherever patients are finding people willing to invest in their care because patients are driving this whole rare disease treatment protocol. They really are. And like here at the University of Minnesota, there's quite a lot of research in ataxia and other neurological. This is not neurological, is it? Yours? No, it's it's in your collagen, but it, you have collagen almost everywhere in your body. Okay. Okay. Amazing. It's such amazing work that you're doing. When did you start becoming such a voice? I mean, when you were six? No, definitely not. <laughs> I was such a shy kid. I wanted nothing to do with my diagnosis growing up, and it was just something that we just didn't talk about a ton. And I uh, I think my senior year of college at the University of Minnesota, I had gotten stress fractures in my spine, and it kind of changed what my future was going to look like, ability-wise, job-wise, just everything had changed, and I didn't know what to do with it, and I've always been a writer. So I started a blog because I didn't know what else to do. So I was like, might as well turn my private writings into something public to just share with people what I was experiencing. And that's where I slowly started finding my voice, got invited to do some stuff at the Minnesota State Capitol to help with a, a rare disease bill here. And then from there, decided to move to the federal level, found the Every Life Foundation, and that was only 2020, and uh, haven't looked back. Awesome. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll wrap it up. Maybe we'll say to, hello to your dad. It is uh, 7.50 on a Sunday night. Abby Hauser with us in studio talking about rare diseases.
It is 7.54 on a Sunday night, and we are honored to have Abby Hauser in studio along with her dad, Tom, talking about rare diseases. And you just heard Abby share her story of when it was discovered and the work that she's doing right now to try to advocate for more funding for research to come up with better treatments for people, some 300 million, it's not a small number, that have a rare disease. And Tom, I just wanted to have you pop on because she's not my daughter, but man, you have got to be impressed by this. Like, are you sure she's yours, Tom? (laughs) Well, we're pretty certain. Yeah, yeah. But I'm very impressed uh, and proud of Abby and everything she has been able to accomplish. I mean, it's, you know, before she really... A lot of this started to manifest itself. She played varsity lacrosse in high school and cross country and was on the rowing team at the U of M and has run a marathon. I mean, a lot of these things that people who are fully able-bodied can't or wouldn't uh, uh, attempt to accomplish. And so it's it's just been remarkable to watch her progress. Do you have fear? I mean, are you like, ah, don't do that one? Try something else. How about knitting? Um. <laughs> I do. You know, I'm, my most vivid memory was watching her at a lacrosse game at the stadium over at Minnetonka High School, and she had a collision with a player on another team where they both turned in opposite directions and right into each other. Both went down, and I held my breath. But then, like usual, she popped right back up and uh, continued to be awesome. So it was, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I just couldn't be more proud of everything she has been able to accomplish her spirit. Uh, it is just unbreakable. It's really a remarkable thing to see. And something we can all take from, you know, you know what I mean? So you're feeling down about X, Y, Z. Be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for your circumstances because we don't always know what's next. And like you said, because I was asking you, Abby, how do you know when you're going to dislocate a shoulder? How do you know when you're going to get a fracture? You don't really do you. So you could do all that cool stuff be fine and then something else really weird would happen and then you might yeah i always joke that i'm i'm waiting for the cool injury story because every injury that i've had is in like the most lame way you could think of but then i do all these other cool things and i don't get hurt so like i just never know when it's going to happen so like i might as well just do the things that i want and know that it could happen rolling over in bed or like maybe it'll happen while i'm running a marathon and which one would i rather have it happen during Running a marathon. No, you're not yes. going to do another one, though. No, I, I'm done. Yeah. Your dad <laughs> might do five more, but that's fine. I'll leave them she, to him now. She, she came out to the Boston Marathon with me in October of 21. She was my pit crew. Oh. So we had a lot of fun on that trip, a little father-daughter marathon trip. And I should let you know, Abby loves to uh, bring awareness, not just to her disease, but all of the others that, that we've talked about. And, Abby, you should tell them the name of your blog so people can read some of the things that she writes because it's really helpful to know that, especially other people with rare diseases, so they know that they're not alone. Absolutely. Yeah, so my blog is called Owning My Story. Owning My Story. And you can find it and listen to it and reach out. What's the name of the organization people can donate to, the one, the Every Life Yes, it's called the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases. They're great at connecting people. Wonderful. Thank you for coming, both of you. I'm so grateful to have met you. You're just amazing. Thank you for having me. All right. There it is. Abby Hauser with us on News Talk 830 WCCO.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.